there, and welcome to the Crypto Frontier. I'm Jonathan Miller, Managing Director of Kraken Australia, and I'm glad you could join me out here on the Crypto Frontier. This show will explore the latest in market data trends and go behind the scenes and explore the technology that powers what we call the future of finance. Now for some of the latest news in crypto, brought to you by Kraken Intelligence. CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, just don't want to go away. With Australia, Singapore, Malaysia and South Africa launching a pilot called Project Dana, carried out by the Bank for International Settlements. The giant mutual fund, Franklin Templeton, posts jobs for staff with Bitcoin and Ethereum trading experience to handle what looks like their foray into crypto trading. And NFTs go into God mode with the Bored Ape Yacht Club project generating million dollar bids via Sotheby's for 1% of the limited edition run. The auction is anticipated to generate between 12 and 18 million US dollars. Let's see what happens. Okay, that's all the news today. For more insight, make sure you subscribe to Kraken Intelligence at kraken.com. Now for my guest on today's show. It's an absolute pleasure to introduce you to Brian Hoffman, our crypto platform product lead at Kraken who's joining me to talk about the novel world of parachains. All right, Brian, look, thanks so much for joining me on the show. Uh, firstly, I'd love you to tell me a little bit about yourself, what you can tell me and, and how you, you know, came to, to be working in this space. Yeah, sure. Um, so I joined Kraken in October of last year. Uh, prior to that, I was the CEO at a company called OB1, and we worked on a decentralized peer-to-peer marketplace for Bitcoin, um, sort of like an eBay on crypto called Open Bazaar. We did that for about six years. So I've been in the crypto space working for quite a while. And then, uh, uh, you know, that kind of saw its uh, untimely demise at the end of last year. And Kraken was uh, uh, benevolent enough to like uh, let let me join the company and, and start working on crypto initiatives here. So it's uh, it's been quite a journey. Yeah, well, you're in the, you're in a good place. So and, and you're still working at some pretty cool stuff. So I think I think it'd be great for us to um, you know lean into your experience a little um, and and for you to tell us. Well, maybe we can zoom out first and talk about a couple of the um, tokens that that are relevant to this discussion. So uh, Kusama and Dot. Um, what what are they and how do they relate to each other? Yeah, so Polkadot um, is is a network and coin uh, kind of thought up by uh, Gavin Wood, who was one of the original Ethereum founders. Uh, he actually wrote the the smart contracting language uh, and and EVM for for Ethereum, which is which is pretty crazy. But uh, you know, I guess as part of the scaling debates and, and wars over the last few years, he decided to, to splinter off and work on his own project, which is Polkadot. And um, Kusama, which is uh, what they call a canary network, is it's an interesting um, concept. So most blockchains have a mainnet and a testnet or maybe multiple testnets where they can try new things before they push it live so that they're not sacrificing any... Um, you know, real money, uh, real value uh, to do t- development and testing. But a canary network essentially is kind of the a hybrid. It's a, it's a, it's like a test net, but with real world value. 
and uh, it's created a way for people to create um, kind of a test bed for experimental features or unreleased software and kind of test it out. But with people incentivized to still do the right thing, whereas on a test net, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. It's not valuable. Um, so it's not the same, same approach. It's super interesting. And we could probably go down, I guess you call it the mineshaft on this Canary network. Um, but rather than doing that, let's talk about the kind of, I guess, the things that these networks are doing that are a little different. Um, so, you know, not many people would have heard about a parachain, but both of these networks support parachains. And, and now that you've explained, you know, Kasama and, and the, its relationship to Polkadot, you know, now we, we kind of know why, because one is leading and the other is following. So, so what are parachains and um, yeah, how, how do people, how can people understand what a parachain is? Well, it's kind of important to understand like how Polkadot as a network operates, and then you kind of get why there's a parachain. So essentially, um, the thought process here is that, you know, whenever a a team wants to build their own blockchain and they don't want to just straight up fork Bitcoin or Ethereum and just copy the network and like tweak it a little bit. They like actually want to do something interesting with like the logic around how blocks are, you know, uh, constructed and, you know, how smart contracts are done or how governance is done. Um, they usually have to kind of roll all of that themselves. So there's kind of this, uh, there's a saying, you know, like in cryptography, it's like if you're inventing your own cryptography, you're, you're doing it wrong because it's so complex and you have to do it all yourself. <laughs> um, you know, it's kind of that way with blockchains now. It's like, why, why, why reinvent an entire blockchain um, structure if you don't have to? And so Polkadot, what they've done is they've like, they, they like, you know, like distilled down like the key critical pieces of a blockchain into this thing they call the relay chain um, and stripped away a lot of the other stuff that kind of like bloats a blockchain. There's no smart contract language. There's no EVM on top of it. It's really just about providing security and, and block uh, propagation and, and just kind of keeping it going. And, and then they push the, the rest of that logic up to the next layer, which would be a parachain. And so teams can come in they don't have to create all of that kind of basic blockchain stuff underneath and worry about the security, worry about mining, worry about all these things that they have to do, build up a community of people to support it. They can take advantage of all that and build just the parts that really pertain to their business. And they do that by creating their own parachain. So so that's kind of the concept. And, and parachain is just like a, like a smooshed together parallel chain. It's parachain. So that, that's where that word comes from. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And it does then when you start talking about um, the auction process, start to crystallize, I guess, why, and, and especially given the history, right, in terms of Gavin's history and the, and the trials and tribulations of open source networks like Ethereum and, and, and Bitcoin, all the kind of debates and open source fights, you can kind of see why, why, why this uh, road's been taken. But before we we get into that. Could you just yeah jump into it to an auction? You know how the auction works and and what the outcome is for the participants or the or the projects that win an auction. Sure. Yeah. So the reason that the auctions exist is because you know obviously the blockchains are not uh, infinite. <laughs> you know infinite scalability, at least not yet. Right. So there's a finite amount of resources, uh, CPU power, disk space, all this stuff. And so 
you know, different blockchains manage those constraints differently. Um, in the case of uh, Polkadot, you know, you have the parachains and, and the way that they're kind of keeping it under control is to say, look, we're going to have a finite amount of these parachains uh, and we're going to give them so much of the network and processing power. And we'll, you know, now that we're limiting it, you know, if we have million teams that want to create a parachain, like how do we manage who gets, uh, you know, the piece of the finite pie? So they do it through an auction. And uh, it's it's an interesting process. They do it through this like candle auction process, which is um, pretty unique. Um, you know, normally, like if you're doing an auction at like eBay, there's a there's a you know an expiration for the auction. And when the time runs down, whoever has the highest bid, they win. Um, but it creates these like weird situations where like people wait till the last second. They all rush in at the last second to try and be the highest bid. They snipe each other and. It, it doesn't it doesn't come off as quite a fair process as it could be. And so this candle auction is like a different design. What it does is there's a period as you get towards the end of the auction where uh, people are bidding. But at some point during that time, there will be like a cutoff point. And whoever is winning at that moment within the window, uh, they'll be the winner, regardless of if people keep on bidding after that 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 time period. And uh, and and go higher and higher and higher. So uh, the way it works is like, you know, the auction. Let's say it's for seven days. You know, the last four of the seven days will be this special period. At some point, any time during that four days, could be a, the winner. Whoever is leading would be the winner. Uh, at the end of the seven days, there's a random kind of number generated, and it correlates to a time and day. And they look back and say, okay. This team was winning at this moment in time. They're the official winner of the of the auction. Wow, <laughs> it's it's really that's weird. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I like that. That's really cool. I just want to step back one more second, back to the to the general picture. So, is it fair to me if I was to paraphrase? I guess the um, the the situation that you know um, the, the one of the big problems you know that Ethereum faced was huge amounts of projects just building on top of it <laughs> yeah. which is a success story in a way like it's a, it's it's amazing um but the the issue when it comes to scarcity um it, and the people that people face with ethereum is cost you know gas fees and um and network slowdown and, and scalability kind of questions um and and i think that these projects in response to that uh are a way to kind of you know or kind of slow down <laughs> yeah. the the growth of the network but also to solve the problem of open source kind of rancor because i mean open source technology is amazing but man it's it can be really rough out there um when it comes to pitching ideas in and um you know proposals and getting people to um to agree to rolling out uh, updates and 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 whatever you know whatever it might be uh, you know merging in new features so so it's clear it's kind of clear that what what's happened here is they've got okay let's use a market mechanism <laughs> let's mm -hmm. use a market mechanism to solve all that and also we'll we'll kind of fix this kind of scalability issue in a way because we're going to build a network in like a lego block fashion and it's going to be the open source community is going to be really well funded by default, because the only way you can you can build on this and be participant to it is to be funded. Um, is that a is that a fair summary? It, it really is because and, and the important thing to know too is that like 
these auctions um, that people are participating in, they're putting their their Kusama tokens or they're putting their Polkadot tokens onto these auctions to to help a team win a slot, a parachain slot. Um, they're not giving their funds to the teams. So back in 2017 and 18, when ICOs were like, you know, all the rage, you were actually giving them your Bitcoin or giving them your Ether. And then they were keeping that and they were using that as kind of like, you know, their own funds. And a lot of them were selling it and dumping it and getting dollars so that they could pay their people or whatever. In this case, it's much different. You're you're essentially bonding your tokens as kind of a promise to support the project for a period of time. And you actually get them back at the end. So if a project uh, kind of leases the slot for a year and they win, um, your tokens stay locked up for about a year. And uh, and then at the end of the year, you get them back. So you're really just kind of voting for these teams. You're not like actually paying them anything, which is even crazier mm. because they yeah, have to find people that are so determined to help them win and to like be successful that they're going to lock up their own <laughs> coins of which they can't really earn profits on top of. So it's, pr- it's pretty impressive that they, they, these teams are able to, I mean, we're talking tens and in some cases hundreds of millions of dollars of, of people locking up their tokens to support these projects. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it really is unique and quite a novel idea. And I guess that's why a lot of people are like, what the hell is a parachain? And, and that's why I wanted to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully that's becoming clearer to people. Okay, cool. So um, you mentioned that the networks themselves are kind of the bottom layer of them was a really much more simple, you know, in a way, much more kind of like a Bitcoin <laughs> network. Not quite, obviously, but... In, in the sense that they've got a limited amount of, um, there's a limited amount of complexity at the bottom layer and the complexity gets built on top. So what types of complexity have been, you know, which of the projects have been successful at these auctions and what's being built right now? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty incredible what's being built actually. Um, uh, so the latest big news is uh, this, this project called Moon River. Um, it's essentially... Uh, the goal is to try and allow people to run anything that you've seen in the Ethereum ecosystem on top of Polkadot and Kusama. And so you can easily just like take any software, like let's say SushiSwap or Uniswap, bring that code over, that Solidity code over to um, to Moon River, and you can instantly run it on top of uh, Polkadot and Kusama. And, uh, and I believe like sushi swaps already running on it. And like, w- w- they're already seeing like hundreds of millions of dollars of, uh, value locked up on those networks and like being transacted on, it's like very instant. And so it creates a situation where like these, uh, these, these software can like float between the networks, like kind of interoperable. And that's kind of part of the key of like Polkadot is, it's all about multi-chain interoperability. Like they're not pitching themselves as an Ethereum killer. Like I, if, if people remember back, like EOS, when it came, you know, kind of came out, they kind of positioned themselves as being like an Ethereum killer. They wanted everybody to move from Ethereum to their platform. But there's a huge, uh, there's a huge like kind of like switching cost, right? Because you, you have to learn a new language, your contracts don't all co- copy over, you have to bring your community over. Um, in this case, it's like instantly like uh, convertible. So that, that's it. Mm. That's a really big project that that's uh, that seems to be getting a lot of traction recently. And is it fair to say that um, that anything that runs on Kusama runs on Polkadot as well, or is that not true? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yep. And mm. that's that's why you know I think they feel 
really good about these upcoming polka dot auctions because uh you know it's essentially the same software so the bugs that they're kind of working out with kusama and all the launches here are going to like easily be you know pushed over to uh polka dot and that's the whole point of having a canary chain is like you want it to be as close to you know the main net as possible like even down to like the way that people are incentivized to use the network yeah yeah it's a good simulation <laughs> well it becomes not a simulation because it seems like people are just using it as well and a lot of people get confused by that so important for people to understand yeah that's the really crazy part and you know i've i've been doing the parachain auctions podcast for, for a little while now and, and when i talk to the teams they're always like they always express their surprise that they're like well we weren't going to do anything on kusama because it's just this canary network but it seemed it turned out it's <laughs> it's actually very valuable and people are like using it and stuff so they want to be there now yeah it's incredible i know that's a really good uh way for us to cross promote your your podcast so um, maybe that's a, a segue into, you know, what's coming next and what are you going to be talking about on your next show? Yeah. So the, the, the podcast, the parachain auctions podcast, um, has been, you know, mostly like we talk to the teams that are going to be going for auctions just to get to, you know, know the teams and hear a little bit about what they're trying to do. Cause it is kind of confusing for, for most people They'll you know, they log into Kraken, they see these auctions that they can bid on, but they don't really know anything about the teams. So it's a chance to get to know these groups. But we're also sort of expanding into talking. We talked with um, uh, Dieter from from Web3, and we're looking at talking to some other people in the in the space because it's just really, I mean, Kraken is like really serious about supporting and, and committing resources to building on top of the, 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 you know, the platform. And uh, we find it really exciting and promising. So um, yeah, there's gonna be a whole bunch of great chats coming up um we've recorded like i don't know something like five or six in the last week so it's been quite a quite a uh, onslaught of uh, interviews but uh they're really exciting a lot of really great teams yeah it's amazing well i won't keep you away from from, from interviewing people thanks so much for your time today brian i think it's been illuminating and yeah looking forward to seeing you know what happens with this next run of auctions it's super exciting well well thanks for having me on and uh, I, I really appreciate it uh we love to be able to share the good word, <laughs> let people know yeah. more about it. So anytime I get an opportunity to shill what I'm working on, it's, it's, like, it's a great day. No, it's a, it's a, it's a really uh, interesting area and one that we can probably revisit in the future. So yeah, well, thanks again and have a great, have a great one. Definitely. Thank you. You too. Thanks everyone for joining me on this show and for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe and review on your podcast platform of choice. And we'll make sure we take you right to the edge of the crypto frontier. And remember, you can learn more about all things crypto by visiting kraken.com slash learn. Until next time, I've been Jonathan Miller, and this has been the Crypto Frontier.